It is a beautiful sunny day and it's been a while since we had sunshine. Uh, weather has been extremely nasty um, with lots of rain and thunderstorms. But today the sun's shining, skies are blue and I'm walking uh, alongside the church. They're repairing one of our stained glass windows. Um, sometimes your children are playing here on, uh, in front of the church. And uh, I think that one of their balls uh, has hit the, the smaller windows. And you won't believe how much that costs. Tiny little window. <laughs> and we have people here repairing this for an entire morning. So that's not going to be cheap. But those are the perils of having a church in the middle of a neighborhood. And back then when they built this church in the 50s, there was nothing here. It was just all farmland. And then uh, look at it now just surrounded by an entirely new neighborhood. This is going to be one of the last times that I'm recording this in, in this neighborhood because, as you know, I'm moving um, to a new location, to a new rectory in a small village north, uh, northeast of, uh, of where I currently live. And uh, that is one of the many things that I'm managing and preparing for in these weeks. Uh, the... <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not complaining about being bored or having nothing to do. It's, it's been extremely uh, busy, but in a, good, in a good way. There are lots and lots of developments. Let me give you an update first on the, on the, the move. So, um, as you know, I'm going to move to a rectory that's much older than this one. This one is from, from the 50s, where I currently live. So everything is square. It's relatively modern. It's all built with, in concrete. It's not very nice. It doesn't have much atmosphere. <laughs> But, um, but at least it's, it's a bit modern. The, the, the other rectory and the church were built a hundred years ago. So it's a much older building. Um, and uh, you can tell. <laughs> we uh, did a tour uh, a while ago, making an inventory of, of what needed to be done. Um, most of it will be touching up at first. It's uh, the, the building. Let me cross the road here before that truck passes by so the, the 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 most obvious thing that needed to be done was uh, the walls uh, need, need, the walls and the ceiling has to be painted um, there have been priests living in that rectory for 15 years and it's never been uh, really repainted or just a little bit but uh, so there is currently um, a painter at work there and just yesterday I went out for a run and uh, went inside I already have the key so I was looking around what he did and he's, he's working really fast it's also uh, a, a bit uh, tricky because he well he's using mostly white paint but then I suggested that we could probably in some rooms uh, introduce a, a colored one of the wall to, to color one of the walls and he proposed gray a certain kind of a warm t uh, uh, type of gray for for those walls and so he, I saw that he um, painted uh, a few samples um, the other day. And my conclusion is, this is not going to fly. <laughs> Gray is definitely not my color. It's not, it's, it doesn't work. It's too, uh, too somber. So I need something else. And, and then I went to Ikea to look at the trends. And lo and behold, gray is very trendy right now. But it's, I know that this is not my color. I'm more of a hobbit person, so I want to have more of a cozy, warm atmosphere. 
Um, or if I do something more outrageous like blue or, I don't know, purple, then I want everything to be um, to match those colors. Uh, and I have to deal with uh, ch- some choices that were made in the past, like the floor on the, uh, the, the primary floor where, where, where the living room is. It's a wooden floor. Um, and <laughs> I, would, I would not have chosen that type of floor. Um, and then upstairs, everything is, um, is, car- is carpet. But it's old. It's uh, 20 years old. And it's kind of grayish beige. It's uh, really ugly. <laughs> and it's, it's used. I mean, it's, it's not very proper anymore. Not, not very uh, uh, clean. So I may want to change that. And the biggest thing that is, has been uh, installed just a few years ago were new curtains on the first floor, so the upper floor. But it's curtains in a color that I loathe. It's orange-brown. Wait for the train. It's a German, German train heading for the eastern border here. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm not walking on the, on the train tracks. But um, it's, So it's this orange-brown, and it's really... I think the, the reason that orange triggers me so much in a negative way is that when I was in high school, um, my room had two very bright orange walls uh this was in the 80s and orange was a hip color and so my mom (laughs) decided that my room should be orange and i remember that every single day i had to look at that orange wall and i hated it (laughs) i just really hated it and i associate it with um with memories of of stupid homework and bad 80s music and (laughs) everything wrong about the 80s (laughs) And so when I saw the curtains, that orange-brown is like, no, (laughs) that is the last color I would have chosen. But then again, these curtains are brand new. And so I'm also thinking, you know, I can't just get rid of those right now. I mean, I I don't... In the end, it doesn't really matter that much. So what I've now decided is let's let's just go for a kind of a a neutral, uh, neutral walls right now. And then over time, what I want to do is to replace stuff in the next couple of years, room by room. You know, just save a bit of money. And then when I, when I have uh, an idea of what I want a room to look like, then we'll change the curtains. But we'll do it bit by bit. And fortunately, the curtains have the same size as the, the windows here. At least part of the, uh, the curtains are similar to the curtains that we have um, at the office in my old rectory. And so we may actually be able to, to reuse them on, uh, on, on those floors because those, those curtains are very old as well. So it's just tiny little things, but it's fun to see how, you know, bit by bit, my, my new dwellings are, uh, are, are being prepared. What I hope is that I can move next week. And uh, yesterday I was like looking around and it was still so much to be done that I really honestly don't think that they, that, that can be finished uh, on, on, you know, Monday on October the 1st. And yet something, something in me is like, I really would like to, to move on October the 1st. It's a symbolic date. It's a, the uh, Feast of St. Therese of Lisieux. As you know, she's been uh, always somehow in, in my life at, at important moments. 
Um, there's there's always uh, for some reason it's almost as if Therese is kind of uh, praying and helping me to to get things going uh, whenever I need to make big decisions so I kind of always had this first of October in in my mind as a nice day to start this new phase in my life Um, but it may actually entail that I just sleep on the floor (laughs) for a couple of weeks until everything is done it doesn't really matter um and, and that's the, the 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 second thing i would like to talk about is how much this whole process of moving is having an impact on on my mindset for me uh, moving is an occasion is a chance to start anew and it's a chance to reevaluate what i truly need and thankfully Two, three years ago, I started to... I think it's less than three years ago. Two years ago, I started to, uh, to declutter. I started to realize um, that I, I didn't need all that stuff around me. And that oftentimes I felt overwhelmed by just the amount of, of stuff and, and the unnecessary purchases that I made over the years. And so I started to give away plenty of things. Um, my entire CD collection... My, all my DVDs got rid of them. I got rid of more than half of my books already. Because I constantly ask myself, are you still... Why are you saving this? Is this just so... You can tell yourself, well, per- perhaps maybe sometime in the future I may actually need this. Or, or is it just stuff that you will never touch again? And I'd learned over over time that I've amassed plenty of stuff that I, I truly never touch. I don't even know that it's there. <laughs> and not having uh, an attic in this current uh, uh, rectory um, forced me to, um, to sometimes throw away stuff just because I only have a t- fine, tiny little cupboard where I can keep my, my uh, leftover garbage, <laughs> basically. And, uh, and, and so I, I was slowly learning to reevaluate my possessions. So why did I hold on to a whole pile of, of records, old-fashioned uh, gramophone records? Um, it's, it was this, well, I've, I've listened to all these songs when I was a kid. And it has emotional value. And, you know, I, I, sh- I should keep this. Perhaps one day I will, I will sample this and I will digitize it. And then... <laughs> In the end, it's like, no, you're not going to do that. Uh, same thing with the VHS tapes, with uh, tons and tons of cassette tapes, with recordings from uh, times that I did an interview on, on the radio or on TV. My mom would record that on an audio tape or sometimes on a digital videotape. And I always kept holding on to that because, you know, maybe someday I'll... I'll make a documentary about my life and I'll need that. And now I'm like, no, that's not how it works. You're never going to do that. Um, films is another example. Holding on to films. It was like, but, but I like that. I love that, that movie. And look, this DVD has director's commentary. And perhaps uh, I want to re-listen to that. And, and then there was this very helpful comment that I heard on, um, on the Minimalist Spot podcast where... Uh, they were talking about this, these, these, you know, holding on to movies and, and, and books and stuff. And uh, one of the hosts said, well, I can actually spend my time on re-watching and reliving experiences from the past. Or 
I can also use that same time to experience new things, to discover new movies and new books. What is more interesting? What is more enriching? Is it these new experiences or is it just reliving the past? And I was like, wow, he is so right about that. Now, of course, there are certain movies that will that continue to give me joy because every time I watch them, they, they speak to me differently, like, like Star Wars or Back to the Future or, you know, classic movies like that. But that's a fraction of, of the amount of movies that I have. All the other stuff is, like, either I've never touched it and they're even sealed in plastic. Those are movies for, you know, maybe someday. That's not an argument to keep them. Uh, another argument to keep things another reason is but I, I spent money on it well just consider it stupid money and uh, you should have never made the, the, the purchase in the first place so that's, that's a lot of false reasoning in my mind uh, it's not because you've spent money unwisely that, that the result of that unwise decision should continue to to burden your conscience and, 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 uh, and clutter your, your life so those are all kind of ways of thinking that I um, that I I try to get rid of, and then um, you've got these these few movies that you know I I know I will rewatch from time to time, and I and it gives me joy. Well, those I can keep, and so I set myself the goal of now that I'm moving to somehow limit the amount of stuff that I want to take with me. And to leave everything else behind. And I, 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 I realized that this, this is the easiest way to declutter. But the, the question was, how, how do I limit myself? You know, what is then that, that limit? Do I take, for instance, do I take any books with me? Or do I leave books behind? Do I throw them away? Do I sell them? Well, I've decided to limit myself to 10 boxes. And that sounds pretty radical. It's just like 10 boxes with stuff. And then in addition to that, some furniture. Uh, but I don't have that much furniture anyway. And some of the stuff I'm going to leave behind as well. For instance, bookcases. Book Why would I take those with me if I don't take 85% of my books with me? I don't know, 85%, 90% of my books. I will leave them behind. So, um, 10 boxes based on the experience that I had in Spain that I have been able to live for 40 days uh, one of the happiest times in my life with only 7 kilograms in my backpack and even in my backpack I had too much stuff I didn't need everything to feel happy so it's that simplicity of life but also the, 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 the kind of the carefree um carefree circumstances that it creates you, if the, I don't have to clean stuff if I don't have stuff in the first place it's, it's unnecessary to declutter and to organize things if you limit the amount of things that need to be organized so it makes life especially for a scatterbrain like me much easier but I've noticed that more and more I'm learning to not get stuff in my life in the first place. And that's, that's mostly done by letting go. So once I took the decision, it's kind of an arbitrary decision, to only take 10 boxes of stuff with me to the new rectory. Um, 
I started to plan out what is going to go in those 10 boxes. And I, uh, just to go through the list very briefly, of course, um, I've got one box with everything I need for walking and hiking and camping. Um, that's usually lightweight, but it, it still fills one, one box. Then I have a box uh, with everything I need for running and sports. Um, also, not much in there, but still fills a box. The a third one is clothes. Um, it's just... And I don't, I don't have much. Uh, because I'm wearing clerics, usually. So I've got some pajamas, some socks and underwear. And then uh, I've got two pairs of trousers and uh, a bunch of shirts. And that's it. And some t-shirts. So that fills box number four. Then I have a box of kitchen utensils. That's, I'm not even going to take all my pans with me because I only use a few of them. And a lot of them, I bought them uh, when, I was, when I was starting my life as a priest. So they're more than 20 years old. So they need to be replaced any, anyway. I'm taking some plates, a bit of uh, utensils, and that's it. So that's box number five. Then we get to the less necessary things. So I knew photos was going to be one box, or I wanted to take one box. And to my dismay and my horror, I have two boxes full of photos. And so it's photo albums, it's, uh, and, and, and when I went through them, I was like, well, I didn't even know that I had this many photos. Because for the past 10 years, from, from, from 1999, I've already been taking photos digitally at one of those Sony uh, cameras with a floppy disk. So I didn't take any real photos anymore. And yet, so most of the photos that I have are either photos from my youth. That's, that's a small part of the collection. Um, and it's a few albums that my mom gave me. So, of course, those I'm, I'm going to keep. They're very precious. Um, but then I had tons of photos of the first few years of my priesthood. Like, I have 500, 600 photos of the day of my ordination and my first Mass. And, and, and I look, I go through these photos, and like, they're almost identical. The photos, like, of all the people that waited in line to shake hands with me after my first Mass. But why do I keep all that stuff? And it's not digitized or anything. And yet, you know, I still know that I want to go through them and, and just uh, see if I can select a, a number of those photos for, um, for, for scanning. But I already know that two-thirds of those photos, probably more, I'm not going to keep. Uh, let me see. I can go to the right here in this park. Let me just go straight ahead. Right, this is a beautiful day. I'm not wearing my coat it's almost, almost feels like summer, like a little, little leftover of summer. It's not going to be this weather for long, so I'm enjoying it right now. So, uh, and, and then I, I was also blaming myself going through all those photos. Like, why didn't I scan these in? I was doing this on a regular basis um, for, uh, during my summer holiday, but it wasn't enough time. And so I just put everything back in the boxes. And now I've got two of those boxes. So there's one too, too many, but that's something I'll just have to compromise and tell myself I'm just going to take two boxes and then I'll, I'll, I'll do a scanning party. I need to limit the time that I'm going to do to take to sort this out and then eventually everything but a few albums will be, will be digitized and I'm going to ditch the rest. So that's two boxes 
That's seven boxes in total. I've got three left. Another box is going to be the movies. This was a hard one. I have hundreds of movies. And even though I got rid of my DVD collection, I still have a ton of Blu-rays. And if you add up the amount of money that I spent on all those movies, and most of them were movies I, I, I bought while rationalizing the purchase. Like, oh, but it's on sale. Oh, it's a, but these, this has five director's commentaries and, and so many behind-the-scenes stuff. Every, every single Blu-ray has extras on it. And I told myself, that's what you can't get digitally. And so I, I end up with, I think, at least three or four boxes of movies. And then I, um, I really had to make a hard choice. It's like, no, it's going to be ten boxes. Honestly, this is, this is in the category, do you, do you keep these movies because you want to go back and re-watch them? Or do you just ditch them and open yourself up for new experiences? And there are, nowadays, with these streaming services, there's so much on my to-watch list. I'd better do that. It's much, much better. Same rationale for my, for my video games. I've got, fortunately, a lot of my purchases were done digitally on Steam, and so I can take them with me. They don't take up any space. But I still had one PlayStation 3 that I was using as a Blu-ray player. And also because I've paid for three years, four years, I think, for the PlayStation Network subscription. And then every month, as long as you're subscribed, you get access to, uh, to new games every month. And there were awesome games uh, in that collection. And then I gave myself a few months... Uh, so I got rid of, of, of all, all of my other um, uh, uh, consoles, video game consoles, um, knowing that I only had time to play some computer PC games anyway. So I would probably never play them. But I was still in my mind, oh, I'd spent so much money on that PlayStation Network and on those games, and I'm going to hold on to this PlayStation 3 player and I use it as a Blu-ray. I have not fired it up for months and so when I heard someone was looking for a blu-ray player just the other day I was like okay time to say goodbye to the playstation 3 as well so I got rid of the playstation 3 I'm pretty sure that I won't miss it so uh, ultimately I went through my my movie collection and I only took either series that I absolutely want to watch or I'm in the middle of watching like for instance uh, the Sopranos and uh, The West Wing. Still haven't finished that one. That's a DVD box. Um, I'm Babylon 5, in, mi- in the middle of Babylon 5. And then the, they're just the classics. Back to the Future, Star Wars, The Hobbit, The Lord of the Rings, stuff like that. An, an old uh, DVD series of uh, uh, Blake 7, which is a BBC series that I still want to watch because... Um, when I was on TV and I was still in, in, in high school, I missed half of those episodes. And it's, it's a brilliant series, very old-fashioned. Um, and, and I also took the decision as soon for those series, as soon as I've watched them, I'm going to ditch them. I'm not going to go back. I'm not going to hold on to TV series that I've watched in its entirety. Uh, they're no longer necessary. So what, we, what I did is I put all the movies on a couple of shelves in our uh, in our new uh, well in, in, in what's going to be the, the new Tridio headquarters, and we'll just use we'll do we'll just have a lending library. If I sell them, it won't 
it won't bring in much money. That's the problem. You know, physical copies of movies are not very valuable anymore. So, uh, but we can just keep it there if, uh, if someone wants to, uh, to take a series or a movie uh, home and, and, and watch it and bring it back. No problem. So that's got rid of that. Um, did I already mention the books? Now I'm starting to wonder. I think I don't think so. So for the books, it's the same thing as for the movies. I went through the the books that I had, and uh, I asked myself time and again the question, are you still going to read this? And ultimately, I think I ended up packing even more books than I truly am going to read. But there are a couple of books that are impossible to get digitally. And um, so I was like, okay, I, can, I cannot uh, get rid of those. I may... This is the only category where I tell myself I may actually, uh, in the future, have a time uh, or want to make time to reread those books. But that's only one box, so that's still feasible. And the last box is going to be the gadgets. It's going to be everything electrical. It's going to be my phone, the tablet, the chargers, the the, the cables, that sort of stuff. And... I think I'm going to be fine with one box. And then the, all the other stuff I'm going to either leave behind, donate, um, and, uh, or we'll just keep it as reference material in, uh, uh, at the Tridio headquarters. And that's it. And then I have uh, some furniture. The, the heaviest stuff is uh, the... the uh, what is it? The um, oh, Not the home trainer, but the... The moving carpet, <laughs> what you call it, what, what I used to run indoors. So that's that's pretty heavy. And I only bought it last year. <laughs> if I'd known, of course, I wouldn't have bought it later. Um, so that's going to be uh, a bit tricky. Perhaps I can uh, take it apart and move it like that. And then uh, a, a few bookshelves, a bed. I was actually surprised at how, how few uh, pieces of furniture I, I had. Um, so all in all... You know, now that it's packed, and every time I, I closed the box, I labeled it, and I put, I brought it downstairs. It's like I'm not going to renegotiate with myself. And uh, and fortunately, I don't have to get rid of everything. I don't have to empty the entire apartment. So, for the kitchen, for instance, I leave a lot of the stuff behind. Even even the, the reserves that I had, I'm just leaving them behind because in the future, that kitchen is still going to be in use and. Uh, well, if I want to bake a cake or something like that, I don't have an oven in my new rectory, so I'll just, I'll just do it there. <laughs> so that kind of makes it easier to, to, for that transition to happen. Um, and then uh, in, in the new rectory, I've just been focusing on, on okay, for what is, what is what I truly want to do and I couldn't do in my old house? And that is very simple, actually. I want to, uh, I'm very glad that I have a slightly bigger uh, sleeping room I had a very small one and it always gets a bit uh, suffocating especially in the winter when you can't open the window uh, it's almost as if there's not enough air in that room and so um, that I'm happy with the bigger sleeping room then I have I'll have one room and that's what I ideally I want to create a room where I can truly study that's the room where I will write. I want to pick up writing again. Um, but also it's writing for my shows. 
That's, that's one of the things I don't do enough is to sit down and prepare and uh, write scenarios. And now that production is ramping up, I, need, I know that I need a room, a place separate from, from work where I can have this creative, these creative hours. Um, and who knows, but maybe I'll, I'll, I'll write a little bit more than, than I did so far. But I wanted to create this kind of... You remember the opening shot of, I think it's The Hobbit? Uh, and it may be the extended edition where the camera goes into bag, bag, Bag's End and goes through all these corridors of, uh, of uh, Bilbo's house and ends up in this small room where Bilbo is writing um, his, his memoirs. It's like, I need a corner like that where once I sit down there, there's nothing to distract me and I can just focus on writing and I want to have like a creative space. Well, there's one of those rooms that really evokes that to me. That sometimes you have a feeling that, oh, this, this is a room for, for that. So that's, that's the thing. And then what I'm super excited about is a hobby room. When I, I, I as a kid, I was always uh, drawing cartoons and um, uh, making plastic models and stuff and painting and I had I wanted to create this big train set so I was always I had this corner in my in my room where and, and fortunately that one didn't have an orange wall <laughs> where I would sit at this lamp and it was kind of it was nice I had a uh, 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 my bed was um, uh, built on a, it was a construction where it's not a really a bunk bed. Well, it is actually. It's a bunk bed, and um, but underneath wasn't the second bed. But underneath, I had two spaces. One where I could uh, uh, be creative and hobbies, and the other one had a uh, uh, what is it? Was to brush my teeth and stuff. So the um, that is something I want. I want back in my new home as well is to have a hobby room where I can have one table for projects. And one of the things I I have been wanting to do for a long time is to uh, start making my own Star Wars costumes. Uh, and not just Star Wars, but the whole cosplay stuff. You know, being creative and, and trying to, uh, to t- uh, teach myself new skills. But also, for instance, Lego building. You know, these, these bigger projects. I have a, uh, a cool idea for, um, for a Christmas-related Lego project. And I know that if I want to really do the building and learn how to do more intricate uh, designing and, and, and construction in Lego, I need to have a, a space where I can let it sit for a while. You know, you don't have now on my in my current situation, I constantly have to take it off my desk, and then because I need the desk for for my other work. So that's that's going to be. Uh, 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 just one other room and, and in this way like for instance in the living room I want to have a big table for board games and for when I have friends over it's the first time that I can actually receive people uh, and, 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 and give them a, a place where they can sit and, <laughs> and, and we, can, we can play these board games and stuff it's in my, in my, in, in my current rectory I don't even have chairs I have one kneeler from the church that I use as a chair, but I was always like, I don't have time to uh, to organize this, and who is going over for board games anyway? So that's all going to be a, a lot better in the new situation. But um, 
in in essence, I want to keep things very simple and relatively organized, and I don't need all that stuff. And instead of spending my money on that, or on, on gathering things that I don't use and are just springing from this fear of losing out, of, of missing out, etc., um, or holding on to, to stuff from the past instead of opening myself up to new experiences, all, all that I'm just letting go and moving is the best occasion to, to finally um, make some progress on that level. So that's um, that's that's it's 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 occupying my mind. Let's put it that way. <laughs> um, but it's a really really um, helpful process, and I'm I'm starting to notice that the more I say goodbye to things, what at first seems to be very difficult, like especially my movies. <sighs> but once I took the decision, one box with movies, and I made a selection, and I looked at the other pile of, of movies that I would leave behind. Um, I was like, okay, finally, I'm glad that I can leave that behind. And even a week later, I was already questioning myself. I was like, well, should I even take any physical uh, media with me? Uh, should I t- take any books with me? Um, but so it's just to, to show you that this is something that you, you, the more you let go, the easier it becomes. That's my experience so far. So that's, that's pretty cool. Um, on the, another thing that's going on right now, of course, the big plan that I, I'm working on, plan B, um, that I talked about at length in, in the last episode of the walk, uh, there's a lot of progress on that level as well. Um, and what we're currently doing is just talking, is pitching this plan to the people we want to involve in this and making this happen. And I've been very very uh elated that there is so much enthusiasm and 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 people are willing to help and so it's looking good it is going to uh i mean further uh increase of the professional um, the uh, how would you say that <laughs> to, to to professionalize is that a verb <laughs> we need to uh, build the organization in 2019 uh, further in, in and and having a more even more professional approach to how we plan stuff because the more we make the more hands we need and that is a mindset uh also that i've worked on for the past few years is i i've i need to let go i have let go of that idea that i had to be involved in everything uh, that it was always me who had to finally do everything and opening that up and creating an organization where I'm no longer uh, the, the, let's say, the spider in the center of the web, but I can just set out the course, think creatively, but having a lot of other people involved in the actual production and the running of the organization, that is something that I've always wanted to work towards. And in the past few years, we've been building that up. And next year, we're going to go to another uh, level, I think, in in uh, in terms of the organization. Let's see, there's one road to cross here, so I can continue my walk in the park. Now I don't know if the entire enterprise of this new plan uh, is going to be a walk in the park. To be honest, it is also sometimes overwhelming to think of everything that we could do, 
uh, but haven't organized yet. Let me go here to the right, off the the the, the beaten path, the beaten track, or what is it? This is this used to be a playground, I think, for kids in, in the middle of the of the woods. But it's usually abandoned, and I don't think that the um, uh, the uh, city is 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 maintaining this. Although I think for kids this would be wonderful. You've got a lot of constructions with wood, um, like playhouses and stuff. It's pretty cool. But um, it's I've I've noticed over these past few weeks um, something that I've always believed, but it's it's more more often than not it requires a, a, a lot of faith. Is is providence that when you're really on the right path and you're 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 not just doing what you want to do, but you're feeling inspired and guided. Is to also trust that the practicalities, um, the funds, the organization, etc., that 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 providence will help you. And sometimes I've been in situations where I didn't feel that at all, and it felt like everything was on my shoulders, and I couldn't do it, and I was getting overworked. And uh, oftentimes, the reason that I didn't really felt or had the experience of Providence uh, helping me out was often, in hindsight, because I think God wanted to make things clear to me and wanted to, me to discover that sometimes I have to, have to let go of certain things or um, I was trying to do everything myself and uh, I was overburdening myself so that in the long run I would not be able to sustain that and um, more and more I'm discovering um, those mechanisms and just uh, just last week something happened uh, we had planned um, to go to the north of the country to film for two episodes of my TV show and in my mind it was very easy to to come up with a plan uh, it's, that's kind of the downside of having a creative mind um, you quickly come up with ideas but the downside of that creative mind is that it usually doesn't really take into account the actual practicalities of, uh, of, of executing those plans and ideas. So in my mind we were going to do a tour of three provinces and we would start on one of the islands north of our country and take the boat and then visit some places and learn about the uh, church history uh, in the in the, in the, the, the I mean, it would have been fascinating. The, what happened was the the closer we got to the date that we would actually film it, um, the less time there was to prepare this properly. And so, the very last moment, we were still uh, making phone calls, writing emails, asking people um, if they would be willing to participate. And then we got a, a number of, uh, of planned interviews that just didn't work out. Where people said, well, I actually don't have time or um, it's a little bit, I need more time to prepare, etc. And so, hey, we have more. <laughs> this is uh, one of our volunteers in the parish who is walking his dog. Seemed to be genuinely surprised that I was walking here too. Because I'm not walking my dog. <laughs> I'm walking the microphone. So, um, the, uh, uh, the result was that I, I, and this was, I think, on Saturday, uh, 
um, it, I didn't feel that I had enough for two episodes. And that if we would still go there, it would require so much improv on location without the guarantee that it would actually work out that I, I, I concluded this is not going to work. And in addition to that, I'd been so stressed by all the other stuff because this, this last weekend was also the weekend that our new um, that the pastoral team was introduced to to the the two parishes that we will be uh, uh, serving from now on, um, and so there was also a lot of extra time that went into that because we have the auxiliary bishop and there's a mass in one parish on Saturday evening, and then we had to talk to so many people in the parish, and then uh, let me see if I can walk can exit the park here and there should be a new um, path for bikes that uh, goes to the entrance of the of the swimming pool that they just constructed and I think yeah it's there it's there this has been fenced off for for uh, more than a year so you could never I always had to do a tour of the park now I can just turn right and hopefully take a shortcut back home um, so the uh, the, the, that weekend and the next uh, morning on Sunday morning also we had festive mass and then uh, all sorts of conversation and then at 2 o'clock we had this uh, uh, service in the church with the again with the auxiliary bishop where we were presented with the new pastor and my other priest colleague and, and at the end of that I felt really so wiped out and uh, flustered and, and stressed because in my mind it was like oh, tomorrow morning we need to go to the north of the country and we have nothing in place and this is not going to work out I had huge doubts about that and, uh, and it was and then I I was just physically sick uh, because of, of the, the, the burden of everything at once and it was one of those moments where I recognized this is the old Father Roderick this is a situation where I have to ask myself the most important question uh, that the Camino de Santiago taught me, and that is, who tells you to do this? <laughs> who is forcing you to do this? Because what I knew was I was so sick of, of the, just the amount of work and the lack of, of uh, inner peace and, and energy that I was like, I don't want this. This is, this is not what the kind of life that I want to lead and so the 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 question I asked myself is well who forces you to do this and what's the alternative and so I called in sick because I was physically sick I was like overburdened stressed out to the max tired and I felt if I am going to push this through and trying to do to record these two episodes on Monday and Tuesday I'm going to end up in the hospital. <laughs> and, and so, and who was forcing me to do this? Well, no one. It's just me. And that's where I stopped and freed up those two days. And I'm so glad I did. Because I am still alive right now. I have energy. And I think this is one of those moments to, uh, that, that, and I, that triggered me to stop before things got out of, out of hand. 
And uh, the, the, there were many other things also happening in the week previous to that. Um, as you know from the previous episode, if you've listened to that, my whole future on television was in jeopardy uh, because of the uh, forced um, savings um, that the company that I work for has to has to do. So there are uh, cutting back on religious programming. Um, there was a lot of uncertainty surrounding that and I had heard um, a pl- about a plan to reduce my TV show to just a couple of minutes on TV and then moving the rest to internet and then of course you know that when that happens then you're gone you know a few minutes are so easy to, to kick out of the window and so we had another meeting follow up meeting uh, about you know this future and then what are the options and I think I think that my TV show for now is saved. Nothing is written down, so I'm still very much uh, alert. But I think that I've been able to convince them that uh, if, if you want to build up an audience on, on, on the internet, which is kind of the way in which they want to push the religious programming, um, if you want to do that, you need to use the existing television audience. And instead of starting at zero... Because that's kind of what that was the plan. Well, we have to reboot and think of something innovative and and do something fresh, etc. So, you know, but it needs time. I know that from experience that it takes years to build up a sizable uh, internet audience, especially if you're catering to an older demographic. And that's the case with my TV show. It's made for people we know that from all the research that, that, that we have access to, if you're on national t- TV, is that most of my viewers are 70 plus. And so for them, it's not as obvious as for a younger generation to go look on the, on the web for content. And so unless we help this existing TV audience and give them reasons to also discover the content that is posted on the web, and it has to be different content, then if you don't do that, then it's going to be a failure from the, from the get-go and everybody will be frustrated and then both projects will be cancelled. That was basically my, my, um, my defense. And I think that that helped. <laughs> and it's not that I'm making this up. I have a lot of experience in this domain, so I know what, what is feasible and what is reasonable and what has a chance of success. So I was glad that there my experience was helpful. You see, I suppose that this, this is part of the road around the, the swimming pool that hasn't been finished. So I'm now walking through what I think is going to be a canal or something like that. There's no water in it, fortunately. And I'm climbing up the other side to uh, continue walking back to my rectory. So anyway... I was I was very glad that um, uh, in this case my experience helped me to give good advice and I stand behind it. This is not just to save my TV show, but it's truly because I care for my audience. And we're still talking about you know tens of thousands of people that watch every week. Um, it's a sizable audience, and it would be a shame to throw it away. And especially because the funds are still there. That was one of the things they told me. The funds are still there. It's just that we figured if you want to 
if we need to go on on the web and we need to make internet content then we need to start fresh we start anew whereas i've been i think uh explaining them that it's much better to uh use a transition period to bring over the people well anyway what what it, what the result of this could be again nothing is written down yet there's no contract yet result is that for the for this upcoming year i will be able to maintain operations and at the same time it will give me a certain certain basis because the tv show right now is is uh, uh is paying for my costs as uh, you know uh, otherwise i would have to cough up my entire salary myself um but it also because we ha- can make much better um uh we we can have we we can have a, negotiate a better contract i think that it will also give me more uh means to to reorganize the tv show uh get more people involved so that um it becomes easier to produce and we can actually uh experiment with with uh, with new stories to tell new new ways to tell the story um especially what i would like to do is to make it even more uh, uh of an experience instead of just doing an old fashioned documentary which is classic television and doesn't really appeal to younger viewers anymore learn from the success of vloggers and their storytelling techniques and it's something that i know how to do it's just that i felt that i had to do kind of traditional television whereas i know that my audience actually enjoys this the the, the idea that they're that i'm taking them somewhere that it, there is a personal relationship with the presenter that that became very clear to me on the last uh, uh, uh meeting that we had with our with my with our viewers it was like a members day and there were hundreds of people that were 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 listening to a talk that i gave there and then afterwards i talked with many of them and i was like oh we always love it when you go there and there and there like okay they're watching this program because i i have a relationship with them even though it's a a synchronous relationship just like with podcasting but i'm comfortable with that i mean right now i'm talking to you and when you look around to your left or your right i don't know where you are <laughs> but you don't see the thousands of other people that are also listening to this podcast and i'm ha- and even when i talk i feel like i'm talking to one person instead of to to a to a big crowd so that is a way of communicating that works for me and uh, that um makes it very efficient <laughs> because with the same amount of time i can reach thousands of people uh, uh, compared to a one-on-one conversation in real life so uh, anyway i think for television there are certain certainly ways to to use those same techniques to establish a strong connection because that's i think what the what i've learned from podcasting is that it creates a very different relationship with your audience with you than for instance a blogger or a, a writer for a for a magazine or a newspaper would have if uh, if you go and, and read a newspaper website you don't even realize that there has been a person that wrote this article because a lot of it is just information you read it you glance through it and it's the newspaper that brings you that but if it's mary or john or jim or 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 clara who wrote that you know you don't you don't really mind and if that person is fired the next day 
you won't miss that person because there will be someone else writing those articles. With, with podcasting, it's very, very personalized. Vlogging, same thing. You know, if a vlogger stops, stops vlogging, oftentimes it feels like a breakup to people. It's like I'm losing a friend. And that, I think, is a strength of, this, of these new media that I think is very compatible with the goals that I have in life. Uh, as a priest is to, to have a it's all about bringing people together and creating communion and and creating a personal bond and and the, the way you can scale that is through you know this this personal approach to media so I'm, I'm looking forward to that at the same time because for for the next year we need to organize ourselves better than when even than in the past I think it will also help us to um, to pitch our new plan even better and make it very clear that if if this new channel for the for a Dutch speaking audience uh, is going to succeed, we will need the funding to hire more people to make this because it's impossible for me to do everything. Um, I I I have my primary job is. Is the is is Tridia Media is to provide you with these shows um, to reach out to audiences that may have no familiarity with faith and to meet them where they are. So for me, this this diving into other cultures. Of course, I need to have an affinity with those cultures. But like for instance, last Saturday, I was in the south of the country on a, another fantasy fair as a priest. I was walking around as a priest. Um, I did someone <laughs> lend me a uh, Slytherin cape, but I was still walking there in clerics. And you won't believe the amount of cool conversations that I've had with people, uh, most of which were genuinely surprised that I was there. And here is a group of uh, school kids uh, hanging out, I think, in, uh, uh, in between the courses. Nowadays, they all carry these Bluetooth speakers with them. <sighs> well, there are the times that we were listening to our personal Walkman with a cassette tape that we had to switch sides of. Oh, the years are passing by. But um, the, the, uh, when I'm there and I'm making all these new friends, because that's what happens, you create new friendships. And then afterwards, I, I posted my, my photos on on Instagram and in a Facebook group and all of a sudden you've got hundreds and hundreds of people reacting to those photos starting to follow me on social media thinking this is the kind of evangelization that works proven and even the Catholics that are there they feel like oh my gosh finally there is a priest here too and we all of a sudden they're talking about we we are here too I think that is the kind of community that, that my country needs right now a lot of Catholics are feeling discouraged and even um, uh, embarrassed to show that they are Catholic. But my presence on those in those occasions, but also in those fields of media, are I think help to give other Catholics a feeling that they're not alone, and that. Uh, that, that we can be there and we can there is more to to Catholics than just the scandals and the controversy and the sadness uh, there is genuine joy and, and and creativity and friendship so anyway for me that's super important 
um, the, the, the plan B for me is another priority. It's something that I feel there is so much providence kicking in now. And I, I noticed this because of the way the, the conversations are going. It's like we go, we went to Amsterdam and we talked with the, uh, a Jesuit priest there. And he was, for, when he listened to our plan, he's like, oh, but I know you, who you can talk to. And did you hear about that, that person or that person or that organization? I'm sure that they want to join you in this. And gave us so many uh, new contacts. And, and then even offered, you know, if, if, if uh, just, just use my name if, if you need to convince people. Um, and then we go home and, and, uh, and in the car we're like, oh my gosh, we did not expect this to go this well. And um, I went to talk with my diocese, the, the, the staff of my diocese, because I've, I always find it extremely important to, to involve them in what I do because, well, as a principal, that's how it works. I'm a priest. I work on behalf of my bishop. And so I want my bishop and, and his staff to know what I'm doing. And even more than that, it's just not information. I want, to, I want them to be excited about this. And that's what happened. So we, we, we told them about how we were proceeding, how we were planning this. Um, and they were genuinely excited. I've never seen them this excited about something that I, that I talked about. Because oftentimes they're just listening to my stories about TV. But it's a world they don't really know that well and um, they, they see the relevance of it but it's still something that I do for other people with this new plan they felt well this could be useful for us as well this is cool this, is, this can help our kids you know and, uh, uh, and, and so I noticed that um, they, th- there was just something different in the air and, and, and it's, it's feedback that you get where, where I felt, it felt like a huge confirmation of what we were doing. And, uh, and I have great confidence that with so many people, there's not been a single negative reaction so far. And of course I know, I, th- I think I'm the most critical of the whole plan myself because I see all the ins and outs and I, I know my own limitations as well. So... I'm still very skeptical as, as to the, at least the speed of, of execution of this entire plan. But when I see how much this hits home for the people that we talk to and, and, and how often they help us to bring it a step further, I have no doubt that we're going to find the support that we need for the next couple of years and uh, that this is exactly what I'm supposed to do. And then in the last, uh, kind of the last priority is, of course, the television work and then the developments there. But I'm also very much aware that that is serving a, a shrinking audience in a situation where religion ultimately will be pushed away, will be pushed to the sidelines, because we live in a very secular country. It's one of the most secularized countries in, the, in, in Europe. And so... And it's a small country, so it's not that like in the United States where, <laughs> you know, with Catholic content, because of the size, the sheer size of the country and the number of Catholics, even though in North America they all, you also have to deal with uh, uh, the, the effects of uh, shrinking uh, church audiences, etc. But you will always find a niche that is, that is big enough to, uh, 
to sustain you. And, and that's in the Netherlands. Is we're talking about hundreds in, instead of millions. Uh, so that makes it more challenging, but not impossible. Quite on the contrary. So that's that's what's currently going on. It's way too much to actually summarize in this uh, little hour that I've been uh, walking with you. But I feel that it's all good. It's going really well. And what I'm most happy with is the things that I discover I've learned over the past few years. And you've been, if you've been listening to this show for a, for a while, uh, you've been, you, you witnessed uh, the kind of these evolution this evolu- and, the, and the lessons learned. Um, to summarize it for, for this episode, I, I've, I've made huge progress in letting go of stuff and to focus not on the things that I have, but the experiences that I want to have. And uh, so that's, that's an important one when it comes to moving. Then the second one is uh, the realization that I, the world does not revolve around me. And also Tridio does not revolve around me. This is a, uh, an organization that is finally getting to the point where I can play my role and I can do what I, what I do best without having to worry about aspects that are not so much in my you know, uh, range of qualities and, and I can just outsource to other people that help me with that. And together we, we built this. And the third lesson learned is to, uh, to, to, to ask myself when, when things get too much, when stress is mounting and, I, uh, and, and, and my health is deteriorating because of the amount of work, is asking myself in time, who is actually asking you to do this? Is it really your vocation? Or should you let go, reschedule, replan, refocus? And uh, I think I, I caught it in time. And uh, it is, it's a great affirmation because that's the only um, attitude, I think, that will keep me sane when pressure is mounting, when the amount of work is increasing. It's always have these ground rules of it should never affect my health. So I've been making time for my marathon running um, and even though this past weekend, when we were so overwhelmed with these parish celebrations and the changes there and the, the, the preparations for the move and then all the television work and those meetings, it just, it was too much. I did not run that weekend, even though we're in, I'm in the final stage of running for the marathon. But I knew I would make time in the days after to go out for a run. And I, if I look at the total amount of, of, of miles that I've been uh, training, I just have confidence that it's enough. It's, it's uh, more than I've ever trained for a mar- marathon before. I need to trust the process and, and let go. And I'll just run the Marathon of Amsterdam with the amount of training that I did. And it may not be the most ideal marathon or my fastest time, but I'm not running it for 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 first prize anyway i'm running because i need a reason to run and running makes me healthy and so that's that's what i keep what what i will keep doing in the years to come and uh when i do real i'll share it here and when i have success in uh, in making the right choices i will share it with you as well hopefully it'll help you too thanks for listening i will talk to you soon take care and god bless